Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlo and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of Maine Golf Talk. Uh, this is probably the most relevant episode that we've had so far. We are joined today by the director of the MSGA, Brian Bickford. Uh, Brian used to be the former director of golf and head professional at Valhalla. He was the main chapter professional of the year in 2013, 2018, and was inducted into the Maine Golf Hall of Fame in 2016. Uh, so we are joined by legend in Maine and uh, the face behind uh, all the changes for Maine golf right now. So Brian, welcome to uh, Maine Golf Talk, and how are you doing today? Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an exciting time in, in golf. So uh, it's, what, the, the end of April, but uh, we've been talking about golf for a long time. So So doing great, doing great. We have, and uh, you know, you you took over from Nancy Story last year in uh, what was it mid March? Uh, how did that role come about, uh, going from Valhalla to the MSGA? So I I'd been on the board of the MSGA for about eighteen years, and uh, Nancy was looking to uh, to retire, and I've always been kind of an administrative person. Uh, many many years ago, when I was uh, an assistant pro, I couldn't figure out how to uh, to make ends meet. So I left and worked in healthcare and, and was an administrative wonk in, in healthcare. And so this was a way to kind of um, try to do a little bit more on the administrative side, um, a little more statewide uh, than just Valhalla. And, um, you know, I think at Valhalla, they, they were probably ready for a change. So it worked out great. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you did a great job with the junior program at Valhalla. And I mean, you and I have had some Thanks. conversations about growing, you know, junior golf. And, you know, that was what I was so excited about when I heard that you were taking over was, you know, junior golf programs are going to just take off now. And um, your first year was off to a great start. And now your second year is uh, <laughs> a little interesting. Well, yeah, you know, junior golf is is really my passion. I, I very much enjoy that. I still coach the uh, the Greeley High School team. As I know, you coach um, Mount Abram, is it? That's correct. And, uh, you know, so that's – and obviously uh, Henry is now coaching at Bates, so that's awesome. But uh, the junior golf piece is, is really the, uh, the part that motivates me the most because to, to watch uh, young junior golfers grow up in the sport is really, you know, cementing the next generation. And that's really what's uh, – what I see is kind of the, the long range forecast for or plan for uh, making sure that the future of golf in Maine is passed on from, from generation to generation. So at the MSGA, you know, we try to promote the, the junior golf program and had it not been for COVID-19, we'd probably be unrolling, uh, rolling out a, a, a new nationwide program called uh, youth on course, which is something that the MSGA is going to be moving towards 
you know, we were hoping to move towards it this year. Um, if not, we'll definitely move to it next year. But it's a, it's a nationwide program that is, is based on a discounted subsidized round of golf to keep golf affordable for junior golfers and allow them to play some of the uh, more public golf courses in the, in the state of Maine. So prior to um, COVID-19 kind of dominating all our time, we had lined up about a dozen courses in Maine for the first year rollout and just to start small uh, and then hopefully grow that program as it goes. So more to come on that. Yeah, that sounds like a great initiative. Um, and when you first took over at Valhalla, what were, what were a few of the things that you tried to implement into the junior program there? So I, I would say initially, I think one of the, the key uh, the keys to, to junior golf was that I found that growing up as a caddy to come back to Valhalla and a lot of courses now have lost their caddy programs that basically to try to put together a program that was around etiquette made a, made a big, big difference. Um, the, the ability to grow the program, we started small. Uh, and we started with different segments of, of junior golf. And then we started to, it started like a snowball. And so we started with clinics uh, and then it moved into uh, summer camps. And then, you know, some kids would branch off into competition. So it was basically around three major groups of, of junior golfers. It was, you know, skills and drills, we used to call it uh competitive golf and then summer camps and so kids would juniors would enter into various levels and uh and based on that we were able to um uh to generate geez almost 400 kids were in our junior golf program uh over the last 10 years and and so that we ended up being the supplier of junior golfers if you will for uh for a lot of courses in our area in a lot of towns. So generally about 60% of the players were Cumberland, North Yarmouth, probably about uh, 20% were from Falmouth and probably 15% from Yarmouth. And then the other 5% were kids that would come from, you know, all over Southern Maine. So that was kind of neat. Yeah, it's gotta be, I mean, it's so rewarding to be able to, to have that effect on a young, a young person growing up and, getting into the sport and then seeing them, you know, even go off to college or sure. potentially play at the professional level level or even become a PGA pro. Right. Right. No question. So I've had uh, six junior golfers go on to PGA PGM schools in uh, across the United States. Uh, I'd have to break it down, but I've had, uh, I think three go to Methodist, uh, two to coastal Carolina and one to Clemson. And, uh, and they're doing great, you know, and they're, they're all through the industry and that, that part's really, really rewarding. And, and, uh, also my daughter's a, a PGA professional as well. So she grew up in the program and, uh, girls golf is something that we, we take a lot of pride in and, uh, and, and the girls have done great at, at Greeley. I think in my 15 years as a coach, I think we've had seven, six six individual girls state champions. So that, that makes it kind of fun. Oh, that's a, that's an impressive stat right there. 
so what about what about your junior days though? You you grew up <laughs> playing at Valhalla, didn't you? So I grew up at Valhalla. It was a nine-hole course, uh, and uh, you know we we never had a lot of money, and it was my sister and I. My brother was younger, and uh, Valhalla ended up being the babysitter, uh, if you will, of uh, of the Bickford uh, kids. And so we used to play a ton of golf, and uh, you know it was not uncommon to play 36, 45 holes a day. Uh, and then uh, that's where I met Nancy Story. So that's the small world is uh, Nancy and I are just a couple of years difference, but uh, she never really played much golf, but she could make a chocolate shake at the, uh, at the snack bar that was a killer. And uh, so it was, uh, it was always a full day affair, Henry. You'd play golf, you'd eat there, you'd caddy there, um, you know, you'd, you'd uh, play little matches on the putting green and, and things like that. So it became... Um, became kind of a full service uh, golf course, which was awesome. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, basically living there and growing up on the course. And I mean, we've talked with Cole, we've talked with Austin Treslow. I mean, everybody, it seems like that's, you know, how they got into the game was by just spending hours and hours at the golf course every day. And it's such a great way of, you know, getting into it. And it's great. So I always loved it, Zach, because, you know, it's, it, it's, for young golfers, young juniors, there's space. So it's, it's almost like you're a little bit independent, but there's always eyes that watch you. So there's always security and there's always, you know, someone there in case something was to happen, but it's uh, it's pretty liberating, you know, to be able to, you know, be eight to 10 years old and, and tee it up and, and go play nine. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, you can see your passion for junior golf and, you know, starting that way and helping kids get into the game is, you know, it's yeah. extraordinary. And I mean, that's why you have received the awards from the main chapter <laughs> PGA and, you know, especially, you know, the main golf hall of fame, that's, that's quite the accomplishment right there. Well, that was, that was, a, that's a nice honor. And uh, I know there's a lot of deserving golf professionals and there's a lot of deserving people. That's for, for sure. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I had some support and, and that was really nice. Um, so um, yeah, it's a, it's great honor and uh, something I'll always look back on. And uh, it was really nice because uh, my daughter was able to do the induction piece. So that, that meant, that meant a lot. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, you know, so let's, let's get into it. Let's get into these hot topics here. Um, let's get serious know, tomorrow, <laughs> May 1st, main yeah. golf is starting, um, <laughs> you know, quite, quite impressive, uh, that we are getting golf back. Um, and it's, uh, I think much needed. Well, I think people are looking for something to recreate, uh, you know, and, and, and to get outdoors and, you know, golf, I, I mean, I know that people look at golf and they think, ah, golf, but, you know, there's 35,000 golfers in the state of Maine and uh, people say, you know, it's been a 30-day quarantine, but if you're a golfer, it's actually been a six-month quarantine uh, because, you know, you, you put your clubs up last fall and, and we were tempted uh, early spring with some southern Maine openings and, and a mild winter and, and uh, so it was so a lot of golfers were really looking to, to get on the golf course. And, 
so the, a lot of golfers got out. Um, we got our hand slapped, if you will, and uh, we, we lost the golf privilege. So, you know, one of the things that we want to make sure, Zach and Henry, is that when we open up a second time, you know, it's uh, we, we don't want to get our, our knuckles wrapped once again. So we've got to – we're excited that golf is starting, uh, but it is with restrictions, and um, some of the restrictions are significant. But the flip side of, of golfing with restrictions is no golf. So, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's play golf. Yeah, that's something we've we've been talking about uh, throughout these podcasts. Is just the fact is that we are in the state we are in, and um, we just gotta follow along. And I, I, as to your point, we have the opportunity to play. So let's let's follow the guidelines as they are. Um, you know, maybe they evolve over time here, but. It, why, why risk uh, trying to break any rules when it could, you know, it could prevent us from playing here for, for the short term anyways. Right. So one of the things that, uh, that I really advocated for this month and, and let me take a big step back. You know, I, I think that courses that opened had done a really, really good job. You know, we knew that uh, we needed to tighten uh, you know, the reins, if you will, around the golf courses and, and access. And, and we knew that. And the golf courses, I thought, did a really, really good job. Uh, the problem was we didn't really communicate what we were doing, you know. So if you do it and you don't tell anybody and then the general public sees 15 cars in a parking lot, they think they must be congregating. And, you know, with staggered tee times that were greater intervals and, you know, all the modifications to the course, it wasn't necessarily, it couldn't be farther from the truth. So, you know, we spent the month really advocating for, um, you know, a lot that we were doing back in March, but at the same time we were advocating, we were educating. And that, that was a big, big deal because, you know, Augusta wasn't necessarily honed in on, on golf courses per se. So um, it became kind of a, an educational opportunity to, to let people know that, yes, we've made some significant changes to make golf safe. Yeah, I mean, uh, Henry and I were talking about it. Uh, We played Apple Valley before the uh, shutdown. And (laughs) I mean, you know, small little track and they did a great job. You know, you paid paid ahead of time. You waved at uh, Chad uh, when you were going, you went to the tee, teed off and I mean, besides Henry hitting into a group, uh, we really didn't run into anybody. <laughs> don't don't listen to those lies, okay? Those are did, lies. Uh, did he yell for? <laughs> it was not going to hit them. <laughs> I will stand firm on that. So I, I saw Henry grow up as a junior golfer, Zach, and so I'm afraid I'm going to have to disagree with your story. <laughs> It was one of those things that I think if we yelled for, because we could see where the track of the ball was going, and if we yelled for it, actually would have probably made it worse because they would have kind of started ducking and diving, trying running to get away from it, it or something and like run that. Into it. I have seen that before. You know, it was, it was so. like, okay, it's it's fading enough. It's it's going to be close, but it's not going to hit them. And right, right. I, I think it was actually me that kind of got them going on the the shot before. So <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. So. 
So when it comes to uh, some of the restrictions, I'll just talk about a, about a few, not to go through all 36 bullets here, um, you know, that, that I have, but uh, just to chat about a, about a few. A lot of them are, are common sense and have to do with social distancing. You know, one of the things we want to make sure is, is that, um, you know, that that streamlined process is put into place. You know, if people can make a tea time online, you know, pay online potentially or pay on at the site, uh, protect the employee, protect the golfer. Uh, we felt like golf could be played, you know, very safely. And so if somebody needs to ride, I mean, obviously encourage walking, but realize that some courses you can't ride and some courses, some people can't ride or can't walk, that, um, that they have at least a single rider cart. And that's a, that's a big uh, concern. And it's also a big concern from sterilization. So we want to make sure the cart is sterilized as, as well. And then I think the golfers will experience, and you guys can certainly talk about this, a different type of golf course setup. So, you know, maybe uh, without rakes, without water, um, you know, without certain things that you'd normally see on a golf course, you know, you make little local rule modifications so that you can just uh, get out there and play. Um, probably the biggest area of change is around the cup. You know, some have gone to the raised cup, some have gone to the sunken cup, but raised internally so that the ball doesn't go all the way in um, to really minimize the, the risk and the touching. And so um, there's, a, there's a lot of common sense there. And um, so it, it, it is, it is golf. It's a, it's like a streamlined process though. When they talk about the sterilization of the carts, do they just mean spraying them down with water? Or are we talking, you know, using some Clorox wipes? I, I guess I, I was a little confused uh, on that sure. wording as well. So the superintendent's association's taken a really active role in, in coming up with the recommendations, which are um, CDC recommendations, Henry, for, for sterilizing the card. And it's a, it's a combination of spraying and wiping, but the solution would probably include, you know, I think it's, a, it's an alcohol percentage, and I'll say 70% of the, the sterilizing liquid has to be a, is alcohol-based. And so a lot of distilleries in the area in a slower beer sales times have converted to uh, actually producing, um, you know, some of the, the liquid that, that golf courses can use. And, um, you know, it's a, it, it can be applied to your hands as well as, you know, any of the touch service surfaces, but also the spray, almost think of it like you're spraying your garden. You've got miracle Grow kind of screwed into the bottom of your, your hose but instead of that, you've got that, that alcohol bleach uh, mixture. And then as you spray it, there's protocols on letting it dry for two or three minutes and then wiping it down. And that will, uh, that will get rid of uh, all the virus. So. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And yeah, I know for us, we're, we're still a couple, you know, a couple weeks away from opening. I mean, we're sure. still, we still just, you know, still waiting for some snow to melt. But I mean, that, that's what Johnny and I are going to be discussing is, you know, how can we get carts to, because like you said, you know, our golf course is a golf course that you really can't walk. Right. Um, I know there's, there are golfers that will walk it, but you know, we need the carts. And so, you know, for us, it's 
trying to figure out what's the best way to kind of get people to get in the carts and to sanitize them so there's not as much touching. Right, exactly. And so a lot of times what has happened, Zach, is golf courses are kind of saying, hey, how many carts do we have? You know, some have gone out and brought carts in, and then they kind of do the math and back into what the tee time interval should be so that you're able to rotate those carts, but also figuring in a sterilization process so that, you know, you, you don't have people without a cart, if you will. So I know some courses have gone with a slightly longer uh, tee time interval, but that allows them to, to manage their cart fleet. So smart, smart. Yeah, it, it's exactly what we were talking about. Um, you know, for, for us, I think we're going to go probably 14, 15 minutes just because more space. Uh, we can right. stretch out those golf carts a little bit longer uh, right. and still be able to do, you know, from eight o'clock to like 12 o'clock with carts and then walking times between and then be able to flip them and be right. good to go in the afternoon. So and, and people are getting really creative. So for example, you know, I saw two examples this week. One was in state, one was out of state where, you know, you've got two people in a car, which is obviously close, uh, too close for social distancing but either a plexiglass divider or a heavy uh, clear piece of plastic, you know, heavy, heavy sheet that's uh, uh, Velcroed to, to the cart roof that allows you to have two in a cart and, uh, and be, you know, germ-free, if you will. So people are getting creative, and there's obviously a motivator there as well, you know, um, not only from a safety perspective, but also from a from a fiscal financial perspective to be able to, you know, kind of manage your fleet. Yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about a couple more bullet points. Uh, oh, okay. You know, sure. There, there's, there's, you know, there's a couple things that are, you know, that we read last night that uh, were a little uh, interesting, um, you know, especially in terms <laughs> of me being from Franklin County, there's only four golf courses um, and most of them aren't even open. So, <laughs> you know, is that, do we think that that's going to change or are we going to be stuck to playing Wilson Lake for the first month? <laughs> so I, I think that uh, the, the county issue is probably to golf courses, the, the hardest one to, to, to take. First of all, golf courses generally don't think of, of counties as, you know, a, a, a service area, you know, and I'll just pick on Valhalla, for example, we would do a service area about 15 miles, a, a circle around, you know, Valhalla of about 15 miles and about 75% of our volume would come within that 15 miles. And generally people will, you know, commute in, in that area about a half an hour. So half an hour in Cumberland gets you to Portland, Brunswick, Lewiston, Auburn, but that's kind of the service area. And so, you know, when you start looking at other, you know, golf courses, service areas, you, you take, for example, Bath, which is, you know, in, in uh, Saginaw, I believe. But it's, you know, if you, if you drew a 15-mile circle around Bath, you, you've touched three or four different counties because the counties are very small in that area. And so the, the county uh, designation is, is, is a tricky one. Because, you know, A, where, where, where does it list your county on any type of identification? 
you know, it doesn't, right? It's not on your driver's license or, or anything like that. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one of those situations where in phase one, and, and if we administer this very well, you know, we can see what the state can do with regard to phase two. What we want to be able to do is allow, you know, a, a course of service area to be, um, to be able to use the, the course and how would they be able to use it? In, in some instances, it's going to be that uh, there might be a provision that at a golf course, like and I pick Bath only because I know it's very tight in that area. But if you're from Brunswick, um, you know, it's just down the road and it's over a county line uh, that uh, members would be, um, would be allowed to basically travel to a, to a golf course, even if it's from a different county. Um, right now, you know, golfers that are daily fee golfers uh, are asked not to be driving all around the state because they're really trying to quell the virus in this first stage. So if you're, if you're living in, in Cumberland County, you know, you want to try to find a golf course in, in Cumberland County. You know, if you're in uh, Aroostook County, you definitely want to try to find a golf course in, in Aroostook County. And what they're trying to do is avoid, although I, I can't imagine the scenario, they're like, well, somebody from Cumberland County could go to Aroostook County and play golf and transmit the disease. And I said, well, okay, that's a, that's a fine example, but the, probably the more likely scenario is somebody from Aroostook County would go to Cumberland County to play golf. It's generally golfers travel south to, to play. And so, you know, their, their argument is not incorrect it's, uh, or their case. It's just um, the, the scenarios are, are sometimes interesting. And certainly, you know, with the high concentration of, of cases in Cumberland and York County, you know, they'd like to kind of keep them there for all the obvious reasons. So the county designation is going to be a little bit of a, a tricky one uh, to manage, but the state is really serious about making sure that people are not transmitting the disease from hot spots, if you will, in southern Maine to non-hot spots in western, central, and northern Maine. And that's, that's why the provision is in there. And... Uh... So the, the staffs at these courses and, and us as PGA pros, how are we, how are we administering this? I mean, it's not like we're going to have somebody on the first tee checking IDs and like asking what their address is. Right. So with them paying in advance, how do we keep an eye on that? I think that uh, what you do is, is, uh, and this is the advice I got Henry. And I, I think that's a valid question. Uh, is that you, you, you know, you try to just ask when somebody's making a tea time and then that, that becomes kind of the determinant. So, you know, it, the state is not asking that you necessarily turn people away that are standing on your tea, but they're just asking that you remind people as they're signing up that this is our policy and that those who abide by the policy are, are making the effort uh, to be, um, you know, abiding by the policy. So I don't think the state is, is saying, you know, we want you to go out there and, you know, do a background check on, on every golfer and say, you're out, you're in, you know, that type of thing. And so they, they're, they're not saying that. Um, this is an area that, that uh, the MSJ is most concerned about uh, because, you know, it may be two friends 
you know, I, I had this scenario already today where two guys from Cumberland County want to play with two guys from York County. Can they? And I say, well, it depends on which county you're playing in, right? <laughs> but uh, the, the, sh- the short answer is, is you know, we're, we're not going to get to that level of, of management. We're just asking people to, to abide by that where they can. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a little bit, sorry to, sorry to interrupt Zach, but it's a little bit like the 14 day quarantine. Who's policing that? How do I know you haven't done 12 days? You know, how do I know you haven't done six? The, the governor is requesting that you quarantine for 14 days and into a lot of people's credit, they're doing it. So I'm assuming that, uh, May is going to be difficult for MSGA events. So like the club team at Belgrade, they're not going to be able to play that. So we, we, uh, the, the announcement will be going out today that we'll be canceling all our May events. Uh, you know, we had canceled through mid-May already. Um, you know, after talking with some of the member courses that were on early May, even with the go live on May 1st, we just didn't think it was the right thing to do to go live on one day and have a, you know, a big event the next day. And so, and, you know, if you go live on one day and then, you know, members want to play their courses, uh, it's not good to say, hey, you know, the uh, course is closed for an outing, you know. So uh, we, we had canceled uh, internally uh, everything for the, about the first three, two weeks, maybe three weeks of May. And, um, you know, with this county uh, disclosure, we're going to cancel the, the month of May with the MSGA. Now, what does that mean? You know, when you take a championship like the club team, uh, and I haven't had those conversations with Kyle yet at, at Belgrade, but uh, we, we would love to, as you can imagine, always go back to Belgrade. And is there a chance we can reschedule that to, a, to another time when, uh, when maybe the county uh, restriction is lifted? So that's one of the things that a conversation he and I need to have. Speaking of which, when do you air this? <laughs> uh, I want to make sure to have that conversation before Kyle listens to you, but he, he knows, he knows it's coming. <laughs> yeah. It's uh you know, that was, that was the one thing that kind of like I, when I read it, I was like, Oh, there goes the club team. I was talking with Eric and Jay and all those guys up here who were, you know, looking forward to playing in that. And um, So we want to delay it, Zach, you know, in, in our role, in our, in our, not our role, but our position has been kind of, when it comes to a championship, we want to reschedule it as best we can. And we want to use the host course as best we can. Um, you know, if we can't, then we, you know, be for a conflict for, for either party, you know, we want to work with the course, but there may be a course that is willing to take it in a pinch, but we'd like to reschedule our championships for sure. The midweeks, which are the, the weekday and the weekends, um, those are going to be dependent on, on the schedule. And, and for a lot of those, they're going to be a straight cancel for the year. Uh, and, um, you know, unless, you know, there are, there are a couple favorites that we may try to work with the host course to, to see if they will reschedule. But all I can say is at this point, it's going to be a busy fall. <laughs> it sounds like that for pretty much all the tours at this point. So I, you know, um, I, I take the month of uh, September and October off, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, if I could just touch on a couple other things from the guidelines they put out. Sure. So with, with clubhouses being closed, 
what are you seeing from, I guess, other states or other PGA professionals? How are they adapting to merchandise sales? And then we also have no food and beverage, um, but some entities have like a, a separate restaurant, not under the same golf course. Are they able to sell food at the turn or whatnot? Right. And then with the driving range and practice areas, how have you seen um, PGA professionals adapt to that with their instruction? So I, let's see, that's a, that's a great question. Sounds like a three-parter. You yes. Remind me <laughs> on, uh, on some of the parts. You know, I think when it comes to the, the merchandise side, you know, at, at this point, and, and I always kind of qualify it as, you know, you've kind of got three levels. You know, you've got the, a, uh, the, the phase one, you know, COVID is still, still raging, you know, and, and things like that. And um, the cases are still, you know, either plateaued. I, I don't think we're going up, but at least plateaued and, and haven't really made the, the apex and the, the turn down. You know, a lot of clubs have uh, been in touch with their vendors, maybe delayed shipments, uh, but those that have uh, received shipments have been, uh, you know, recommending that uh, certain merchandise be displayed, but under, under either uh, plastic or in windows that are not open for touches, you know, and things like that. When it comes to like the countertop stuff that you would normally have if the pro shop was open, a lot of times that stuff is available, but maybe behind you. So if I could, if you came to say a window to, to either check in or, or pay or, or to buy golf balls, you know, we don't want people touching those and then transmitting the disease that way. So it could be that, uh, you know, you'd like a sleeve of pro V ones and I can reach behind the counter and, and, and give those to you. Um, and then I think when it comes to uh, demo clubs and things like that, I'm really kind of nervous about demo days because I'd have to look at what the sterilization process has been for, for demo clubs, but the demo clubs uh, right now, I think a demo day is probably on hold a little bit. Uh, and, and that's, you know, making sure that the equipment is not, not transferred. And that's my puppy. <laughs> okay. And that's my puppy. Hey guys. Uh, I think when it comes to uh, uh, what was your other one, Henry? You, you so we got, yeah, the oh lessons. Okay, so, uh, yeah, instruction with the practice areas being closed, and I guess fitting goes into that as well. I mean, those go hand in hand, sort of. So, uh, you know, I I know I've seen I've seen instructors offer on course lessons, but I expect right. an uptick in green fees and member play with the fact that they can't practice or go in the clubhouse and, and, and gather around. So they're going to just want to go out and play. So right. I, I imagine finding an area on the golf course where there's like a field or something, that's the best way to do it right now. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the lessons are, are interesting and people are getting very creative. And, and I think you were on the, uh, the NEPGA online training the other day. I thought I saw yeah. and people are, 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 are using apps, uh, maybe some more, uh, you know, camera work to be able to, uh, um, there we go. There goes the cat. So to, to be able to, uh, take videos of swings and not get within six feet, 
you know, and that's really hard in a lesson because a lot of times, depending on the person's style of learning, you know, that tactile learner wants to, to get it, feel that, that difference uh, in where you want those hands or that club position. Uh, you know, it's going to really put the onus on the, the golf professional to be an expert communicator uh, in, in trying to convey, you know, how to make, how to make certain adjustments. Uh, so that, that's what I've been seeing, you know, in terms of, you know, with the driving ranges closed, you know, I can only speak for a golf pro from Rhode Island that I talked to today who, uh, who did go to the course. And so, you know, to, to be able to give lessons either early in the morning or later in the afternoon. So early in the morning, maybe off the back nine, you know, while everybody's teeing off one or later in the afternoon when there's no more time to be able to get in a, a typical round of golf, but you might be able to get in a lesson or two off the first tee, or maybe if you've got gaps. But I think it's a, it's a real concern. Uh, and I would suspect, you know, and this is just a guess, that uh, driving ranges, as, as a general rule, would probably start to be loosened up a little bit for, for a future phase, phase two potentially, because I think that you can get great social distancing in between stations. And so I would like to think that you could do that. And I would think that maybe if we went to the pyramid of golf balls, you know, that instead of selling a bucket that might be a transfer of, of COVID-19 or, or a token, that if, if, you know, we can say, okay, I want you to hit of that pyramid of 100 balls, you paid for 50, whatever, you know, then, you know, hit those, hit those balls. I think we can get to the, I think we could get there. Yeah. I, what do you think? I, well, I just find it interesting that, you know, I, I understand why they're closing those areas. I mean, the, they don't want people congregating. Um, and stories out of other states, you hear about 40, 50 people on the practice green prior to going out on the golf course because the clubhouse is closed. They can't right. grab right. a drink. They can't, you know, grab a breakfast sandwich and hang out and talk with their friends. So they're out on the practice green. So I so understand. It's a real yeah, change, isn't it? Yeah, I understand it. I just, from an instruction standpoint, I was curious if they would allow one-on-one -on -one lessons um, or even groups up to like five potentially in these practice areas so long as you maintain social distancing and you just keep it to instruction, I suppose. But I, you know, I, I get what they're trying to do. It just, it, it, it makes it challenging on, on these courses and these properties where you don't have a lot of area and now you can only allow one person in a cart at a time. There's right. so you have limited carts. I mean, I, I get what you're saying about doing a lesson like early morning, but if your first tee is full and you got to take two carts to go out to the 13th hole for a lesson, I mean, that's, that's challenging as well. So no, no question. It's, um, you know, and, and I've said this a couple times and, and, and I'm sometimes trying to, starting to believe it a little bit. I, I've attempted to apply logic to an illogical situation and uh, it doesn't, it doesn't always work, you know? And so I, I hear you on that. And, and that's something that I think we should advocate for in a, in a, in a phase two and, and a phase two is supposed to start in June if everything goes fine. Right. Um, so that is definitely one of the things that, that we'd want to advocate for, because I think with adults, 
you can get that proper physical, uh, you know, distancing and, and still hold a, an adult clinic with a limited number of, of participants. You know, I think when you get to junior golf, it, it becomes almost a different animal because the, the kids right. are not used to necessarily being that far apart. And so that's a, that's kind of a different animal, but I think you end up shrinking down your, your, you know, the sizes of your, your programs just to ensure that everybody's safe. Yeah. And then the last part was the, uh, the food and beverage. So is that a licensing thing? So if you have a, you know, a, a restaurant for the turn and after the round, if it's under a separate license, can they offer food and drink or? So I'm not as good works. in this area, but I, but I will tell you what, what I do know is that um, food and beverage can offer basically curbside or takeout. Uh, and they can offer curbside and takeout even with alcohol, as long as it's uh, in a uh, closed container. Uh, I, I heard that one from the state today. I didn't even know that. But um, they're well within their license to be able to, as long as they abide by all the CDC regulations, offer, you know, and maybe at a golf club, it's a, it's a, a food service at the turn and, you know, potentially food to go at the end. Um, so that is, that is allowed. Um, but anything that is inside where you've got to sit down and, uh, you know, potentially congregate is, is, is not allowed. So when they say restaurant and no food and drink service, that just means gathering indoors. Exactly. So are you, and I have it right in front of me, I think you're referring to the uh, state's restrictions that came out last night. Yeah. So that was part of my uh, early morning uh, email to, to the commissioner and it, it, what the intent there is, is for inside sitting food and beverage services, kind of like the same old restaurant and bar, but it is not, it does not apply to, to take out and curb curbside. So when they were putting this together, they were kind of associating it with the section that it's in. Yeah. Um, but it, it creates confusion because it's the number one bullet on the, uh, the restrictions and it says no food or drink service, period. <laughs> yeah. So that is, uh, that, that is, uh, will be amended or clarified. Um, after okay. I'm done with this, uh, this call, I'll be sending out a, a note to the membership. Well, it definitely sounds like, you know, this is evolving. They have the phases lined up and hopefully we can keep on track and, and maybe things change uh, ahead of time and, um, but I, I think that we got to stay hopeful based on everything you're saying. It sounds like it's not as dire as it's, as it's making, <laughs> making out to be. <laughs> well, I, I have my moments, Henry, you know, I, I'm like, Oh my God, the sky is falling, you know? And, uh, okay, I, I, I want to quit and Nancy can have her job back, you know? And, uh, so I, I chuckle about that, but, and she laughs hard at me. So I get no sympathy there, but you know, I, I think the the trick in this is is trying to communicate that the state is under the situation that they're in. I mean, you know, I was joking with the NEPGA yesterday, and I said, you know, in the next pandemic, I'm going to be ready. 
But for this one, there was no playbook where I could just say, you know, okay, here's what happened. Let's do this. This is a little bit trial by fire. And um, it's, it's, again, trying to apply logic in an illogical situation that is, and, and, you know, there's contradictions throughout these restrictions and uh, just trying to manage all of those so that people aren't, um, are seeing the brighter side of, of what the state's offering. Well, we, we appreciate all the work you've done. And I mean, I think you've been a great voice for Maine golfers. So we appreciate that. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's, it is actually fun. I, it's that administrative wonk side of me that it, that uh, allows me to, to dig into uh, all this verbiage and, and try to try to make sense. So I appreciate all you guys are doing. I, uh, I hope your, your interviews are going well. Yeah, it's been, it's been great so far. And, you know, I think this is a great platform to, you know, share, um, you know, what's happening in Maine golf, uh, you know, and share stories about, you know, Mainers. Um, so I think it's, you know, I think it's been great and we've been enjoying it. And I, I'm thinking everybody's been enjoying listening to them. So I commend you guys for this because, you know, I, I think the, the clubs and the, the industry survives if you can keep people engaged. And so there's, you know, if you're not doing anything, then people aren't thinking about golf and you guys are really taking the bull by the horns and, and try to engage golfers. And, and that's, uh, that's really awesome. So, you know, hats off to you for engaging Maine's golfers. It's a, it's a diverse crowd for sure. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, but it's an appreciative crowd. So I appreciate everything you guys are doing. But I do have one final question. Go for it. Have you interviewed the state of Maine champion yet? We are uh, we are holding off on the uh, <laughs> the state of Maine champion. Um, you know, Jerry Jerry Roman's uh, I think uh, hold up right now practicing at Sunday River by himself. Uh, I think he's jacked up about the county restrictions because he's got Sunday River you know all to himself getting ready for uh, his uh, defense here at Sugarloaf. But uh, I think we'll have him on uh, sooner than later. Zach, that is, I, I just get a kick out of the fact that he throws that into everything he says and tries to get under your skin. But I, I don't think that's an easy job, I'm guessing. I've heard enough from him, you know, in <laughs> Michigan, and I'm kind of used to it by now. But, you know, it's definitely giving me more motivation and hope for uh, State of Maine this year so I can, uh, you know, keep him quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you luck with that. He's, he's a great guy. And, uh, I just got a chance to meet him last fall and he really helped us out in the tri-states. And so, uh, the state of Maine champion for 2019, uh, Jerry Roman. He's, he's a, he's a great guy. And, you know, he's, he's done it. He's, you know, I'll, I'll be nice here and I'll tell, say, you know, he's done a great job at Sunday river for the start. Uh, you know, I think he's got a great vision to get that, uh, facility back up to where, you know, it should be. Um, right. And so right. I think, I think everybody's excited about it. Um, especially now this is year two with, uh, Boyne. Um, now that we have actually owned it, um, right. You know, it's, right. it should be even better. And I'm excited. I mean, Sugarloaf and Sunday river together, you, you can't oh. beat it. That is, uh, that's a dream team right there, you know, for, for golf and, and certainly mountain golf. So 
And then Henry, uh, just, uh, you know, how's your golf team shaping up? Well, assuming everything comes back to normal here, I, I'm really excited about the recruits we got coming in. And I, I think we're, we're about to make a, a pretty substantial jump and hopefully move up in the NESCAC ranks. So I'm excited. You both think teams, that, absolutely. Do you think that, and I don't mean to interview, you know, the interviewers in a, in a, in a, in a call, but this isn't an interview, talking. Brian. What's that? <laughs> this isn't an interview. This is just a chat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was just wondering, um, you know, if, if you think that college golf is going to be maybe one of the sports you could play this fall. Man, you are, you are asking tough questions. Now. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll I think have... football, football could be tough and, yeah. you know, some of the other contact sports, but golf could be, could be really seen as one of those uh, sports you could play. Certainly. I, you know, it's a, it's a tough question, not only because of, I'm a NCAA coach, so I have to be careful what I say, but, you know, with everything that's going on, I think that hopefully in the next month or so we'll, we'll kind of have a, a vision for how that would look if we end up playing this fall. And um, I mean, I, I'm encouraged by the recent chatter I've heard from around the country. I know the, the president at Brown, um, she came out and said that she really feels like, you know, these schools need to get back. And I'm hopeful that there's a way that we can accomplish that. But, you know, I, I, I do see it being a challenge, especially when you look at the fact that, okay, so as it stands right now, someone wanting to come up from Massachusetts to play golf in Maine, okay, you play around, you got quarantined for 14 days now. Right. So right. that's, that's the challenge moving forward is how, how do the competitions look when you're traveling state to state and there's different policies and procedures in place in each state. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah that's, so that's there's a, really a lot of, there's a lot of dynamics to it and I, I I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out but um hopeful that you know we get back this fall and I really feel like we our our two teams are lined up for a successful season. Yeah, good for you. I I always remember my days when I played at University of Southern Maine and and uh you know um there was actually in those days some pretty good competition in state that you could play and certainly Colby Bates and Bowden, the Bowden Invitational was always a, a great event that we looked forward to. And in, in fact, in one group, I can, uh, I could tell you it was in the group. It was, uh, John Hickson. It was John Hickson went to university of Maine. So he played yep. and I played with Jerry DeFilippo who is, yep. uh, uh, head pro at, uh, Fox Ridge. He went to UMF. Uh, Donnie Roberts, who was uh, is the head pro at Waterville, and uh, and myself, and we were a foursome. And I went to USM that would play in all the college tournaments. And you know, there's uh, there's some pretty good players in that group. And so, yeah, you know, what is Donnie that? Roberts always always kids that you know he was more of a basketball guy, so he was the he was kind of the fourth wheel there. But uh, to know Donnie. Uh, he was only fourth wheel probably until his junior year, and then it was the sky's the limit, you know. But that was a pretty yeah, fun time to play. I was going to say, what is that scramble team shoot, like 25 under? <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody had to putt, you know. 
so uh brian we uh we usually wrap up these calls with a little section we call the wicked fire round okay okay i uh i have four questions for you today all right okay so number one would be your favorite five courses in maine favorite five courses in maine uh portland kibo uh, a rustic valley uh, Belgrade and Sugarloaf. Your favorite hole at Valhalla? The 18th hole uh, in the new arrangement. So it's uh, the, uh, the par five finish. That's my okay. favorite hole. <laughs> I was like trying to think the last time I played Valhalla, it might have been before they made that change. So Could have I been. Had to think about it for a second. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's kind of, do I, do I dare try to thread a driver so I can reach in two? You know, and uh, it's got a great view from the, the back deck, if you will. So a lot of, uh, a lot of events come down to that, that hole. Uh, your sports idol growing up? Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Nice. Larry Bird. All right. And then your... From a golf perspective, I'd say Jack Nicklaus. But uh, Larry Bird was... Uh, just thought that guy was the man. Yeah. And then your, uh, your favorite COVID-19 golf MacGyver. So basically, any adaptation you've seen considering the circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's a great one. Uh, probably, uh, I would probably say the, uh, the, the cup lift, yeah. the lift cup, uh, that allows you to, to not touch the ball, but have a golf hole experience. I, I think that's probably the one that is the, the most common that, uh, somebody's going to retire on that invention. You got to love Leon up at Sheepskit, putting nine of those things in. <laughs> he is, uh, first of all, that guy's not a character, is he? Oh, he's a legend. He is. <laughs> he, he is a legend. And uh, I talked to Leon quite a bit. Uh, we're, we're about, we're the same age actually. And uh, I used to be a member at Wawanock. So I, I think the world of Leon, he's, uh, he is just a character. That's for sure. And did you see how good his stroke was, Henry? He's got oh, a pure stroke. You know? He's one of the best putters I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Fierce competitor. I think Fierce. it's because he, he's low to the ground, so that helps him. <laughs> hey, did you ever hear that story? I, I think it was Bob Darling who said this. Have you ever seen the logo on at Wawanock? Yes. It's the chipmunk, right? Yeah. And the designer of that logo was an illustrator for Walt Disney. His name was Jake Day. And so it's a little kind of Walt Disney chipmunk. And so Bob Darling said to him one time, geez, isn't that nice? You're the, you're the pro at the only course in the state where they got a picture of the head pro as the logo. <laughs> I, think, I think Zach wanted to chime in and say that being low to the ground doesn't help your putting, but. Yeah, that, that was going to be my statement. I, I guess I got to get lower or something. Uh, all the uh, mentality. 
Uh, Brian, if you have any maybe parting words for our listeners on the state of the game and, you know, maybe where the MSGA is, is uh, sure. bringing us. I would say be patient, you know, uh, enjoy what, uh, uh, what we're given, you know, is an opportunity to play, uh, enjoy the sport for the reason we enjoy the sport, uh, which is being able to be outside with, with friends. And, uh, I would say, let's be patient and, uh, and, and, uh, as we solve this COVID-19, I, you know, I, I relish the day of getting back to being able to go early, uh, hit some hit some balls, a few putts, play a round of golf and having beer and lunch after. And uh, so it, it will come back and just be patient. It will be there. And if our listeners want to sign up for an event down the road for the MSGA or, you know, maybe get involved with some of these causes that you have going on, such as this new junior initiative, how can they find you? So they can always find me uh, at bbickford at pga.com, bbickford at pga.com. Or if you ever wanted to uh, email uh, the general mailbox, which is fine, uh, msga at m-e-s-g-a, main msga. Uh, dot org. So uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from you if anybody is, is interested in joining or uh, participating and, and volunteering. Um, we'd, we'd love to have you. So uh, feel free to reach out. Well, Brian, we uh, sincerely appreciate you coming on. I know these are challenging times for, for everyone, but hopefully we can get through this together and Maine Goff can uh, you know, get back to some glory days here soon. I appreciate you guys uh, thinking of me and uh, yeah, let's make this happen. So I wish you the best of luck and I'll see you on the, on the golf course. I hope soon. Absolutely. All right. And uh, you can find us at Maine golf talk on Instagram and Facebook. And if you are on iTunes, we appreciate any feedback you can offer. And hopefully we'll see you this weekend for the start of Maine golf season. This has been another episode of Maine Golf Talk.